stand. The text for the sermon is taken from Revelation 7, which writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. That is the text. You may be seated. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Tell me if this is a familiar experience. You sat there all night talking with somebody about whatever discussion it might be. It could be a variety of topics, and you're talking and talking, and all of a sudden, the conversation comes to a sudden halt. And all of a sudden, you don't know what to say anymore. You're sitting there trying to think of something to say, and you're looking at the other person, hoping that they'll come up with another, come up with something to say before you do. Does this sound familiar? What we call the awkward silence? Silence is something that we as people, especially in American culture, are not very comfortable with. Some of you might be like me and not even comfortable with silence when you're asleep. For me, I have to have a fan running and I have Netflix going on in the background. And if I don't have at least the fan, I can't fall asleep. I know this because when I go to hotels, I don't have the fan. I have a a horrible time falling asleep. We as a culture don't like silence. Silence. We might like silence when we're reading a book, but in reality, when we're reading the book, it's not silence, truly, because the words of that book is filling with noise inside of your head. But the idea of just standing there in silence, being silent before something or someone, is something we don't like. It's something we're uneasy with. Even at the beginning of our, our services. By the way, if you're wondering where confession and absolution is, it's actually after the sermon. And that's the way the, the divine liturgy of St. John Chrysostom actually kind of flip-flops. The prayer of the day is at the start of the service, and confession of sins is after the sermon. It flip-flops a little bit. 
But when we get to the confession of sins, I'll, we'll have that moment of silence. And for me, even when I'm leading that, I'm like, oh boy, I don't want to, how long it's too long for this silence? And, how, and when I think it's been long, maybe it's really only been two seconds, I don't know. Because I struggle with silence. In a little bit, when, in the, during the communion order of the service, where we normally would sing the Sanctus, we will sing a hymn that is an ancient hymn that somehow got lost throughout the history of Lutheranism. The name of the hymn is Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence. It's a hymn that originated in the divine liturgy of St. James. It dates back to about 150 A.D. And it might be because of, it might have come from the process of coming to the United States. But for whatever reason, the Lutherans lost track of that, that song. But if you talk to Roman Catholics, they tend to be quite familiar with it. Because for whatever reason, they held on to it. But it was a song that was sung well before the abuses came into the Catholic Church. Way back to the earliest days of the church, when... And we're talking the second generation, the first generation after the apostles had died away, they were singing this hymn. They were singing it every week, just the way that we sing this is the feast on a regular basis, or the Nuke Dimittis, or the Glory Nick Chelsea's. They sang this. And the first words is, let all mortal flesh keep silent. And with fear and trembling stand. Because you see the thing is. When we gather for the divine service. We believe, teach and confess. That we are gathering into the presence of God. In a way that we don't at any other point in our lives. Yes, God is everywhere. He is, in your, he is in everyone who believes. He, is deep, he lives in your heart. But when you come to worship, when you come to the divine service, He is present in a way that He isn't anywhere else. It's for this reason that if you go to some of the old churches, and this was the practice of the church for many, many centuries, but now we kind of, out of fear of becoming too Roman Catholic, which by the way, just this week, I read, do you know, who, how many of you know who C.F.W. Walther is? Raise your hand if you know him. Well, C.F.W. Walther was the first president of the Missouri, Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And when he, he had a very interesting comment in response to people who complain about being too Catholic. And he said, you know what, if we're going to be worried about too, being too Catholic, we're going to get rid of the gospel lessons, the epistle lessons, the Old Testament readings. We're going to stop singing hymns. We're going to stop doing all kinds of things just because the Catholic Church does it. If that's our attitude. Basically, he was pretty much pointing out how silly it is. But the practice of the church long before that was that whenever you came into the church, and maybe you've seen some older Catholics do this, before you enter into the, into the pew, 
Do you know what it is that they do? They do what's called genuflecting. Get down on one knee and you make the sign of the cross. Now, not everyone will do that because you might have bad knees and your knees will get angry at you for doing genuflecting. But it's indeed very appropriate that before you get into the pew, to bow. Bow towards the altar. Recognizing that, and this is the same, the very reason that when our, our confirmands or whoever is acolyting, I have them bow before the altar every time they cross it. The reason is, is because it represents the presence of Christ. In the ancient world, if you came in the presence, of, if you're in the presence of a king, and the king was sitting on a throne, if you walked in front of the king, you were to turn and either salute him, or do or reverence towards him, do something to acknowledge that you were passing in front of the king. And if you didn't, you would be punished for doing so, for not doing so. We gather in the presence of God. The one who created the entire universe. And sometimes we have this attitude that God should fit our, de- our needs, our desires, that worship should be exactly the way I want it. If I'm not being entertained enough, if I'm not as excited as I want to be, then that isn't good. God has to do... It has to satisfy me. God has to get, fill my life the way I want to fill it before I listen to Him. And the thought, when you realize, the question should be asked is, who do we think we are? Where were you when the, world, the foundations of the earth were created? Where were you when there was no light? You weren't there. What have you done to make sure that every heart in this world is beating at this moment? What have you done to make sure that this ground that you are sitting on, or when you stand upon, won't give out at any second? What have you done to make sure that the earth isn't made of, isn't made of jello? Nothing. And yet that's who our God is. The magnificence of our God is such that, I like it in this fourth verse of the hymn, it says, At his feet, the six-winged seraph, cherubim, with sleepless eyes, Veil their faces to the presence, as with ceaseless voice they cry, Alleluia, 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 Lord Most High. The angels, these grand beings, the cherubim and the seraphim, their eyes are veiled because they cannot even gaze upon our Lord. But then there's that reality, not only of who we are before God and the fact that we are the created, not the creator. That God is not our butler. He is not our therapist. He is not our stewardess. He is our God and master. But in spite, however, 
Not only do we have that relationship, there's the reality that we disobey our Lord over and over and over. Every little sinful thought he knows, every thought of jealousy, every thought of selfishness, of greed, every thought of anger, of self-righteousness, of hatred, of bitterness, he knows it all. With every cruel word that we have uttered to strangers, to family members, to friends, to co-workers, to classmates, he hears it. Every sin you ever commit, he knows. And it's for that, who we are before God, we are the created who destroys his creation. For that, we are to be silent. For that, we are to be in humility, in humbleness. For that, we should be like Isaiah, who when he saw God, dropped to his knees and said, Woe am I, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. Isaiah believed that he deserved death, and he did. But this is where our silence goes even to a different direction. To a surprising direction. Because you see that very one who was on the throne before Isaiah. The very one by who, for whom the seraph and cherubim had to veil their eyes because they could not gaze on him. That very person is the one who was laid in that manger that first Christmas morning. He is the same one who was in the temple being taught by the, who was listening to the teachers. He is the same one who appeared at the Jordan River to be baptized by John. He is the same one who walked the, this soil, the soil of this earth and spoke proclamations of God, proclaimed repentance and the forgiveness of sins, proclaimed the coming of the kingdom of heaven. He is the same one who was rejected, insulted, humiliated, abandoned and betrayed by his closest friends. He is the same one who endured every kind of torture that this world has ever thrown. If you think that your world is tough, your life is tough, it might be, and it is. But our God knows what it's like. Our Lord Jesus lived through the tribulation of this world. And he suffered and he died on the cross for you. He brought an end to death. He brought an end to the evil of this world. He brought a promise that all of your pain and sorrow and grief that persists will be wiped away. Every tear, every hunger, 
Every thirst will be gone because of our Lord. Because of what He did on the cross. As it says here, this is a writing by by, St. Ambrose. He says that our graves will be known by our family. He's comparing to Moses because Moses, nobody knows where he was buried. So in other words, unlike Moses, our graves will be known by our family. But they will not be, they will not remain filled with our bodies. Because Jesus' grave was found to be empty on Easter Sunday. You go to a cemetery, you see those graves, the body is in there. But the spirit of that person that is, that bought, that bought, that person is in the presence of Christ. As I mentioned this before, the reason I wear this white robe is because it's a preview of coming attractions. It is, a, it is a reality that those 21 names that I mention in the prayers are experiencing as we speak. They wear a robe of righteousness in the presence of Christ. They don't hunger. They don't thirst. They don't hunger. See, All Saints Day is our Memorial Day for the church. But unlike Memorial Day, this isn't a day of grief. This isn't a day of sorrow. This is a day of victory. The saints that we celebrate, they are not the church in they are not the dead church. They are the church triumphant. They are in triumph. See this cross that I've had up here since um, Good Friday? You notice that Jesus' hands are not nailed to the cross? It's because it's a reminder that though he was nailed. He is not nailed there anymore. He lives in victory. He conquered the grave. He conquered death. He conquered sin. In a little bit, we'll partake of the Lord's Supper. And when you come, it's, there's this verse in Hebrews where it says, you come to Mount Zion, to the innumerable and feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn made perfect. So you'll come to here, to Mount Zion. And by the way, this is one of the hymns, why, one of the reasons why I think this hymn got lost in history is because the first translators of English hymns would not have liked the second verse. Because the first translators had a low view of the Lord's Supper. The second verse says, King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood. Lord of lords in human vesture, in the body and the blood, he will give to all the faithful his his own self for heavenly food. In other words, the very person who was in that manger, the one who was in that temple at 12 years old, the one who was teaching, the one who was on the cross, is in the bread and the wine of which we partake for the forgiveness of sins. When you partake of the Lord's Supper, notice that we bow before we come to the altar there. 
Because in my hands is Christ is present. Actually there. That is His body. It's not this represents His body. It's this is His body. This bread is the body of our Lord. This, this wine is the blood of Christ. Given for you. The fact that He is there before you must lead us to silence, to humility. That's why we're on our knees. That's why we're bowed when we receive it. And by it we're united to Christ. And the person next to you is united to Christ. But you know those 21 names that I went off? Those are all faces that I think of. Well, most of them. Some of them I didn't know in this life. But if I did, the ones that I performed funerals for, I think about them. And it's really hard to think about how hard this year has been. 11 funerals since October 31st of last year between the three churches. But if you miss somebody who has died in the faith, where do you need to be? Right there. Because they're the church triumphant. And you are united to them in the body and blood of Christ. We say it every... Every communion Sunday. Therefore the angels and archangels. With all the company of heaven. We laud and magnify your glorious name. Evermore praising you and singing. We are acknowledging that the communion of saints. We the church militant. And the church triumphant. Are joined together as one. In the body and blood of Christ. So as we gather in humility. Let us jump for joy in the victory that has been won. Death is not the end. For, for a Christian, death leads to victory. And the, if you go out to that cemetery, or cemetery, wrong direction. I'm sure there is one that way. If you go out there, remember, a day will come those bodies will rise. And they will be strong and mightier than they have ever been in this life. Until that day comes, to God be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keep you in the one true faith and the life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.